This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is just one reality. Mainstream science and mainstream Christianity give us different and competing versions of our reality, but of course, neither has it right because both of them are belief systems. Christianity, of course, is theistic, but science holds atheism to be its fundamental dogma. They do say that. Dear friends, anything with a fundamental dogma is a belief system by definition. But when we get beyond all belief systems and approach the study of reality open-mindedly with the help of people who really know what's going on and just happen to be inconveniently dead, with insights from both science and Christianity to boot, and with the determination to know the truth, we begin to see a genuine reality that is more wonderful than our most optimistic imaginings. Its greatest truth is the certainty that you are an eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And knowing that changes everything. Our guest for the second time is the wonderful John Audette. He's co-founder of the new website, Eternia.org. And he has spent his life on the cutting edge of studying our one reality. Welcome, John. Hello there, Roberta. Nice to be with you again. Wonderful to have you back. Um, when, when John and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, um, I was fascinated because I had him on our show to talk about Eternia.org, which is going to be, I think, a cutting-edge website and a source for information for all of us. But the thing about John was that he had a wonderful history of his own that I hadn't really been much aware of. So my hope is to spend more time today talking about the pioneers that John knows and, and his own process of coming to this point. So, so John, just for people who may not have heard the previous uh, program, tell me uh, again a little bit about your history and, and uh, let's get started on just talking about the people you know and the things you know. <laughs> Well, uh, as I said in, in the last interview, this interest of mine in uh, spiritually transformative experiences and non-local consciousness and, frankly, social change goes back to third grade, 1960, um, and an experience I had then where I first became acquainted with what we now call the near-death experience. And <clears throat> that sort of primed the pump for me. Tell me what happened there, because I also had my transformative experience when I was third grade age. So t- tell us that story. Sure. Well, it was, uh, the, the, I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I was raised, and um, attending Northside Elementary. And my best friend at that time was a, a gentleman, well, a little boy named uh, Mike Waters, Bucky Waters. And um, we were just good buddies and we hung out after school most of the time and um, his home was en route to my home on the way back from school and um, we um, we often you know walked home together and 
I'd stop off at his place for the proverbial, you know, milk and cookies. And um, he um, was really uh, out of sorts one afternoon after school. I couldn't quite figure out what was bothering him, and I asked him. And he said that his mother had been acting quite strange since she got out of the hospital. He had told me earlier that his mother had a heart attack and had been taken to the hospital by ambulance. Um, and he said she, has, she wasn't the same after coming home. I said, what's wrong with her? And he basically said that she'd gone crazy, that she was happy all the time, and, you know, just a different personality, talking about God and angels in heaven, um, and that she had died and went to heaven. Oh. So, uh, yeah, so that afternoon we stopped at his house, and I asked his mother. She was usually there um, <clears throat> when we'd stop over after, after class. I spoke with his mom, and I was curious. I said, you know, Mrs. Waters, Bucky tells me you um, you died and went to heaven. She said, I sure did. And he tells me that you saw God. I sure did. <laughs> well, what did God look like? You know, she said, well, he was a big, beautiful ball of love and light. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And what did the angels look like? He said, you saw angels. I sure did. What did they look like? Well, they were smaller, smaller, beautiful balls of love and light. Wow. What was heaven like? It was beautiful. I can't even put it into words. So she was different. There was a glow about her. I, I, it made an indelible impression on on me as an eight-year-old boy. At that time, we didn't know about near-death experiences. Um, that wasn't going no. to come along until about 15 years later. 15 when, years, right. Yeah, when Raymond Moody wrote his best-selling book, Life After Life. But that's sort of primed the pump. That's where it started. Isn't that great? Um, that So what... What? How did it change you, and what did you do then? I mean, you were just a kid growing up. Did you talk about it with people? Did you try to I did better not. understand I, it? I, no, I did not talk about it. Uh, I, I actually sort of, for, I didn't really forget it, but it was not in the forefront of my thinking. Um, I um, didn't really give it any, didn't pay it any mind at all. It just was sort of filed away as an interesting story. Uh, but one that I knew was important somehow intuitively, I knew it was, important. I didn't forget it. And of course, the way um, Mrs. Waters relayed the story and the the uh, countenance on her face and uh, the glow about her, I knew that she, something special it had was happened real. to her. Right. Well, I, I, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, you don't think in terms of, of real or not real or fantasy or because you're, you're sort of prone to fantasy anyway as, a, right. you know, as an eight-year-old. But um, I, um, I did... I did know, remember that it made quite an impression on me, um, and um, it was uh, there were several things that happened that sort of set the stage for me to meet Dr. Raymond Moody when he was still a medical student um, in 1974. I, I, I don't know to what extent you want me to go into yes all of, um, all of the things that had to happen for me to meet Raymond, but it was sort of synchronistic. Okay, would you like That's- me to? Yeah, well, yeah, j- just briefly, because that's not surprising. Um, our guides, if this was you're the voyage you were meant to be on, then hearing early on about this extraordinary experience it softened you for the next stage, and all these things then that happened in between were were, were leading you to that meeting. So, yeah, yeah, briefly, what happened? Well, I was raised Catholic. My father was a devout Catholic, and it was, you know, um, confession every Friday and mass every yeah. Friday and every Sunday, and 
I just, but the Catholic Church uh, never really satisfied my spiritual yearnings. It, it didn't really make me feel like I was in full communion with God, or uh, I just didn't feel right about it. Um, and it just wasn't feeding me spiritually. So I was, but I, I, I still felt the closest to God, but it was quite independent from, apart from the church. Um, so I had this, I wouldn't call it a yearning, I had a spiritual uh, leaning um, from my first conscious thoughts. Um, I felt a, a connection to source, to divine love. Um, I felt a sensitivity to suffering. Uh, I felt an urge to do something to help improve uh, the human condition. Even and so young, you felt this. But, sorry? Even so young, you were feeling this. I mean, you yes, I mean, it's all, it, was, and... it was expressed as a sensitivity to suffering and as, a, as an inherent compassion for all things, not just human beings, but, but animals, plants. I mean, I just felt um, it, was, it was innate in my, in, my, in my character, if you will. Yeah. Um, but in any event, I, um, I, I had this, uh, this hunger within me spiritually that wasn't really satisfied by the Catholic Church. So um, in my senior year at Fort Lauderdale High School, my best friend's um, brother, who was like a big brother to me, was killed in Vietnam. He was um, drafted, I guess, two years before and uh, ended up in the infantry in the U.S. Army and was stationed at Da Nang. And Mm. he was killed in a mortar attack. And um, Mm. that had a a major seismic impact on me. It was, I think, one of the first, first one of the first times I experienced the death of someone close that I loved. And um, at the time, I was also um, very patriotic. I'm still very patriotic, but I mean patriotic in the sense that my country, right or wrong, my country, you know, I, unquestioning uh, about government yeah. and um, whatever the government said was was good and um you know i didn't understand the protesters i i felt that was a lack of patriotism so i when dominic was killed i thought well you know the right thing for me to do is um enlist in the united states army as you know the same branch of service that that dominic was in wow and um and um you know try to get to vietnam to help liberate the poor oppressed people of South Vietnam from wow. the communist aggressors. So that was what was going through my head at age um, 17. You're the only 17-year-old at that time. I can attest you're the only 17-year-old who was not trying to avoid the draft. That's what they all were doing. I was there at the Well, time. not all of them. Not all. Some were. I don't know about all, but there were the a lot of young was. men. Just like today, you know, there were a lot of young men that uh, loved the flag and wanted to serve yeah. the country and didn't question the legitimacy of the war or the appropriateness of it. They just trusted government, uh, being faithful, loyal, freedom-loving Americans, such as myself. And That's good. that was my upbringing. And so you just assume at that age um, um, that, that this is a just cause and that Dominic died for a just cause. Um, so my, my attitude was, well, I'm going to enlist when I graduate because of that particular incident. So and it was because of this enlistment that I that set the stage for me to meet Raymond Moody. And this is really where the story gets quite interesting. Um, I um, 
went into the recruiter in downtown Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I said, I'm, I think I went in and just as I had turned 18 in, in early May of 1970. And um, I, I went in and to the Army because that was Dominic's branch of service, and I said, I'm here to enlist. I want um, infantry. Uh, I want to be stationed um, in Da Nang in Vietnam. I'm volunteering for Vietnam, and I, um, I want to help fight communism. Wow. So the recruiter said, okay, that's fine, but first you have to take these aptitude tests so that we can qualify you and see what, uh, what um, military occupational specialty is appropriate for you. I said, fine, fine. So I took the test, and he said, sorry, we can't give you infantry. I said, well, why not? He said, well, your, sco- your score is too high, and rarely do we get any recruits that score this high. We need you in computers. Well, oh. in 1970, that was a that was a foreign word. I mean, no one totally. heard. Of, I had never heard of computers, and um, they were the size of a room. Computer? I was programming one at the time, and it was the size were of you? a room. Yes. Okay. Well, I yeah, they were the big IBM mainframes. Yes. And yes. Three sixty. Right. Yep. With the you know with the punch cards and yep. um, and so I said, well, you know, I don't know a thing about it. He said, don't worry about that. He said, you know, we'll teach you about what you need to know. And he said, you have to get a top secret clearance, but, you know, assuming you check out, this will be your specialty. I said, no, 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 I want infantry, and I want Vietnam, and I want Da Nang, and I want to go right there where Dominic was. And He said, well, you know, uh, we, can't, uh, we can't do that for you. Uh, he said, you're needed here. If you want to serve your country, this is where you're needed. Most likely, you'll end up in Vietnam. Uh, and I said, well, I think I'm going to check out the Air Force or the Marines or the Navy. And he said, well, uh, you, know, you certainly won't end up in the ground in Vietnam if you go that route. So he said, this is your yeah. best bet. So I, I went ahead and he talked me into it and I did it. And uh, that's what brought me to the United States Army Southeastern Signal School in Augusta, Georgia, uh, for advanced training um, in basically computerized communications technology. So I ended up finishing the course, honor graduate, by, I'm told, a fraction of a percentage point. And uh, upon graduation, half the class went to Germany and half went to Vietnam. My half was going to Germany and would have stayed there a year, and then I would have rotated over to Vietnam, probably to Saigon in a major communication center, uh, air-conditioned, because it, these eight mainframes needed you know, cool oh, rooms. Oh, big time. They had false this floors not, and ceilings. Right. Yeah, this was not this was not tactical by any means, but this equipment. But anyway, um, uh, I uh, I said, well, I'm wanting to go, I'm going to Vietnam in a year, or so um, you know that's my plan. And he said, well, that's fine. You can the honor graduate by tradition stays to teach here at the at the, at the course. And um, this was the section chief who was telling me that I was privileged to be the honor graduate by a fraction of a percentage point and. But by tradition, I needed to stay and teach for instead of going to Germany. And I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I'll, I'll teach since it's tradition. But I, I just, I'm telling you, I'm leaving for Vietnam in a year. That's why I enlisted. And he said, fine, no problem. So I don't know, somewhere um, along the way teaching, I, I um, received the honor of being instructor of the month and the, the uh, commandant of the signal school uh, presented the award and um, I um, I remember the executive officer coming over after the ceremony saying, um, the commandant would like you to come to work in the command section. 
and protocol. We'll promote you to sergeant, hard stripe, and you'll be working um, directly for the commandant in, in this area, pro protocol. And I said, well, I'm going to Vietnam in about six months. He said, well, don't worry about, don't worry about that. You see. So I ended up uh, working for the commandant, and that was like being the commandant yourself because if you worked for him, you know, everybody was really, really super nice to you. You know, it was right, like, right. You know, it was like being, um, you know, top brass yourself. Um, so it was really quite a, a, a an experience for me, a privilege, and. Um, um, you know, the orders for Vietnam never came, and the commandant convinced me that I should, um, since I was going to be permanently assigned to his section, uh, to his office uh, at Fort Gordon, that I should take evening classes and work toward my degree so that I could, because I was officer material, and he was interested in grooming me to be a general officer one day, like, you know, like himself. And I'm like, well, sir, thank you. Quite an honor and privilege to hear you say that. But I, I, I'm not smart enough to do college level work. And he said nonsense. He oh ordered me over to the. He ordered me over to the. Um, I guess what they called it, the guidance counseling, guidance and counseling center, and I was ordered to take the CLEP test, um, college level equivalency program, and I guess I scored enough, high enough on it to get two quarters worth of credit. So half my freshman year was, was, um, uh, you know, pretty much taken care of just by the, by the credits from the CLEP test. So, um, so I ended up thinking that I, maybe I could do college level work. And I went to nearby Augusta college now, now then changed its name to Augusta state university. And, and now it's Georgia regents that merged with the medical college of Georgia, which is the medical college that Raymond graduated from in 1976. Um, but in any event, um, I, um, when I was discharged from the service in, in uh, December of 73, I was going to come back to Florida to finish my bachelor's degree, but I would have lost too many credits. So I decided to stay there to finish my uh, degree at Augusta College part of the University of Georgia system. and um, we, We're going to my, need to take a break, and I think we should do that um, now and then come back to, um, you know, meet Raymond Moody. Uh, the reason yeah. I think it's important that people hear what you're saying is that anyone who's interested enough in this field, um, anyone who's interested enough in this field to be listening to us, is probably also on a mission and probably also has marks to hit. And to hear how it happened in your life is important to them. If, if people look around you at all the things that are happening and they're nudging you in, in, in a different direction, um, because uh, something wonderful is probably waiting. Uh, meanwhile, you're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Our guest is the wonderful John Audette, and we'll be right back. there were a place that was the opposite of civilized and what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked when Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence she learned more than that our lives are eternal she also discovered what we really are and to help us make the most of our lives she's begun the letters from love series of novels 
begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage Afterlife Forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with John Audette, who's explaining to us how his guides basically nudged him and got him to the point where he met Raymond Moody before Raymond Moody became Raymond Moody, uh, while he was still a medical student. Please go on, John. Yes, well, it was um, that first quarter, being a full-time student fresh out of the Army, that I got elected president of the sociology club. And my job was to bring interesting speakers to campus. And so I had my first uh, meeting at the club, and I asked my fellow committee members if anyone had any ideas for um, uh, interesting speakers. And the only person who spoke up was a young lady, friend of mine, classmate named Kathy Tabaki. And now Kathy's re- acknowledged in Life After Life, actually. Um, she was the, the neighbor of Raymond Moody. And oh. in Augusta, Georgia. And she said, I know someone who'd be fantastic. His name is Dr. Raymond Moody. He has a <laughs> PhD in philosophy from the University of Virginia, and he's a medical student. I think he was in his sophomore year at the time. Um, and he's been researching people who have been resuscitated, who left their bodies and went to heaven and saw God. Wow. And of course, I hadn't thought about it since 1960, oh. but what what bubbled up to the top of my consciousness at that point was the story of Mrs. Waters, of and I said, I said, this is really important, Yes. and I heard for the one and only time in my life the ring of destiny, the call of destiny, and I said, well, you know, I need to meet this man right away. This is This would be great. Yeah. So Kathy took me over, I think that afternoon to meet Raymond, and Raymond and I uh, just instantly bonded. Um, we became instant friends, and I helped him with the research that led to uh, Life After Life, and then the second sequel book called Reflections on Life After Life. Yes. And um, Kubler-Ross, as you know, Dr. Kubler-Ross wrote the foreword to Life After Life, and she and Raymond had been, had been speaking by telephone um, about their mutual interest in your death experiences and Elizabeth's work generally uh, regarding treatment and care of the terminally ill, which at the time was burgeoning and, and pioneering. She was just beginning to blaze the trails at that time, but still at the time making a great name for herself in this, in this arena and doing, uh, doing a tremendous amount of good. Um, so I became acquainted with Elizabeth through Raymond 
they had never physically met, so I found out that she was coming to uh, Kennesaw, I think at the time it was called Kennesaw Community College, I, I think it's now uh, Kennesaw State University or something like that, but anyway, she was coming to speak there, and um, that was only about a two and a half hour drive from Augusta, so I suggested to her that we go over, drive over and meet her. Well, Raymond doesn't drive. And he said, well, would you be willing to drive? And I said, sure, of course. So I drove him over to meet Elizabeth and introduced him to Elizabeth. Wow. And that was the time they first met. And at that meeting when they shook hands and looked at each other, you know, made the eye contact, to me that was historic. It was. I felt that, that there was a volcanic amount of energy and potential in the air around that meeting because I had heard Raymond speak. Um, when I presented him at Augusta College in February 1974, uh, sponsored by the Sociology Club. And um, his talk um, really gave me the answers I had been seeking. At that point, I guess I was sort of agnostic because I I had been, um, as I said, uh, undernourished by religion. Yes. And I wasn't really feeling quite the connection to the divine that I, I felt earlier in life. And having been in the Army and having gone to uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower Medical Center to visit with uh, many of the soldiers who were wounded in Vietnam and hearing their stories about firsthand combat experiences, I sort of changed my whole tune about the war, yeah. 180 degrees, yeah. And based on what these the, the soldiers there had, had experienced and witnessed, um, and I was at a, it was, a, I was 22 years old, and I was at a point in my life where I was really questioning everything, including government. And now, all of a sudden, I understood why the protesters were protesting, and I yes. I studied with them uh, for the first time in my life, and I felt really bad for the guys like myself who would have gone over there and um, spilt blood for a cause that. Um, that really wasn't um, what it was promoted to be. And um, I think it's important to add that the that the kids who were killed in Vietnam were draftees mostly, um, which and they tended to be people who didn't go to college, who couldn't afford to go to college. So um, I I started out as you did, trusting and believing in my government, and that was seeing what happened with Vietnam and how pointless and useless and how they weren't even intending to win that war. They could have won it, but they chose not to. And all those lives were were lost for nothing, and they tended to be the poorer people. That turned me forever into a government cynic, I have to say. And I think a lot of other people share that experience. Well, yes, and I um, thank you for saying that. And uh, in in my uh, experience, I, I learned that when you're, 18 years of age, you think you got the tiger by the tail, and you think you know right. what you're all about. But <laughs> That's you're, right. You're, you're, but you're, in the case of uh, males, you're full of testosterone and ready to go prove yourself and your manhood and you know, charge the hill, you know, um, yeah. and you, you ask questions later. But in any event, um, I, at the age of 22, I sort, of, I sort of woke up, and Raymond's talk gave me an instant download and all of a sudden, I, you know, I had the privilege of meeting some of these folks who had near-death experiences through Raymond, um, and listening to their stories firsthand uh, was very compelling, and it brought me back into communion with Source and opened me up to spirituality again, and I suddenly realized that 
you know, this stuff's got the power to change the world. And yes. um, if we can really advance civilization if we do a good job on the research and the education and the outreach, all tied to experiences of this kind. And Kubler-Ross thought the same uh, thing, and she, she felt the same way, and she'd often speak publicly about this. So we were simpatico uh, on, in this point of view, and I, I, I gave her the idea that I had of creating an association for researchers, experiencers, and the interested public to further this work with the aim of social change. Wow. Um, in other words, making the world a better place, better, leaving it better than you found it, and um, helping us to evolve to the next level of of, um, uh, of sophistication and refinement. This was Through, in the early seventies uh, that you were doing this. Yes, this was seventy-four that I got wow. to, that I really received the first. As I say, when Raymond talked and I listened to all this, it was like all the bells and whistles were going off. Yeah. And, and then Elizabeth would just reinforce it in her talks about. Um, she would say things like, you know, we have a very erroneous perspective on death, and if we really knew what it meant to die, we wouldn't fear it, and we would we would change our perceptions of reality and we would behave very differently toward one another and toward the earth and toward the animals and right. toward all living things. So when I heard all this from her and, and from the experiencers themselves, I thought, oh, you know, it wasn't rocket science. I just said we need to create an organization to, to advance this work because it's really important and it can change the world. Yes. So... My point is, and, and you know, I appreciate your allowing me to tell the story, but one thing led to another to another. And, I mean, um, <laughs> it took the death of Dominic uh, Madonna to um, yes. his name is, uh, whose name is on the wall in Washington, D.C., the Vietnam Memorial. And I visited it many times. Um, uh, you know, it took that death to start me on this path. And then it took a lot of other synchronistic events as I've described them to 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 bring me into this field of work well they, they certainly the, to be present for and actually to have facilitated a meeting between Raymond Moody before he wrote um, life after life and um, and Elizabeth Kubler Ross who is one of my biggest heroes uh, I, I I think that's just a profound experience you had there and, and place you have in history, in what will be the history of this movement that is changing the world and is going to change it a whole lot more. Um, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, for anyone who doesn't know, um, wrote um, on Death and Dying and started out not believing in any of this, um, except that she had so many experiences. Her her job was to help children die. Imagine not believing in an afterlife and having your job being to help children die. Um, I cannot imagine a gutsier person than that. But um, she she began to question that belief when she saw too many things that that uh, um, proved that the people survived death. That she she would be at the bedside of a of a child dying, and the child would suddenly see the, the mother who had died at the scene of the accident uh, come for her or him. And you don't have that happen without being changed. And she went from being a cynic about it. Toward the end of her life, she was astrally traveling with Bob Monroe. She went from one pole to the other, which very few people can do. Um, and, and she did it with class. What an extraordinary woman. She gave a talk once uh, in which her, her, her guides said to her, she began to realize she had guides, and they said, while you're giving this talk... Um, 
people will appear on the stage with you who are your guides. And she said, why would you do that? And they said, because you won't believe we exist otherwise. And it happened. Um, I can't remember where I even read about this, but one of them was like eight feet tall, and it, I think there were three of them. And it's, they appeared to the whole audience as well as to her. I mean, what an extraordinary human being she she was. What a spirit. Um, so I'm thrilled that you got to meet each of them individually. I, I do know Raymond, and Raymond is such a sweet soul, even now as he's so much older. What a sweet man he is. Um, yes, I like to call him a little the little Buddha. He's um, looking yes. more and more like Buddha as he ages, and yes. he's going to be 70 this year and um, um, in June, and um, he's still doing great work, uh, still lecturing, yeah. still researching, still writing. Uh, he's still on the cutting edge of stuff. I, I, Sorry? I mean, he, he, he's still on the cutting edge of things. He, was the, he coined the term um, um, uh, life, uh, near-death experiences in Life After Life, and, and then he started doing work with scrying, with people using reflective surfaces to have encounters with dead loved ones. And he just came out a couple of years ago with a wonderful book called Visions, I think it's Glimpses of Eternity, um, where he, he countered yeah. um, um, uh, shared deathbed vision. He, he coined yeah, yeah. shared deathbed visions as a term. I didn't even know until well, I read yeah. that book. They could happen that people could be sharing in the deathbed visions of people who are dying. So what yeah, a force yeah, Raymond he is. is, a, Raymond is a, he's a very bright, bright fellow, and he's always on the cutting edge. And his new work in the area of nonsense is quite intriguing. If, you go to, if, if your listeners go to uh, lifeafterlife.com, they'll be directed to uh, uh, materials concerning the nonsense work. But he is, um, this has been a love of his since early days of graduate school, and earning his doctorate in philosophy at the University of Virginia. But um, the nonsense work holds great potential and um, in terms of uh, helping to engineer altered states of consciousness. And he's on to something quite important here. So his, his latest work focuses on that, still cutting edge. So, so it's uh, go, go to lifeafterlife.com, is it? Yes. Uh-huh. Lifeafterlife.com, and you'll be directed to the nonsense work. I'm going to do that after we get off the line. Believe me, yes. that sounds yeah. exciting. Yes. Uh, because um, everything he does is real. He's a scientist in everything he does, and I think that's what makes his work most valuable. Just like uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, he's not credulous. He, he has trouble believing, but on the other hand, he's open-minded, and so when things happen, he accepts them. Um, remarkable man. Very, very much so. I'm p- privileged and pleased to know him uh, all these years. Uh, one of my best friends on the planet, and uh, just a, a delightful human being all around. And I think his his more his most important works are, are yet to come. That's that's the most uh, exciting thing about it. But it was through Raymond that we really were able we were able to organize the International Association for Near Death Studies because in my in my enthusiasm about the potential of this work, I asked him if he would help me uh, to organize this association so we could further the work, and he uh, quickly agreed, and we convened the first meeting in November 1977 in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Dr. Michael Sabom, a cardiologist from Atlanta, who, from Emory at the time, who has written a few books on your death experience, uh-huh. he was there, Dr. Ken Ring, psychologist from the University of Connecticut, who's written several books on this subject of near-death experiences, was there. Yes. Uh, among, among several others, who, Dr. Bruce Grayson, 
who heads the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. Psychiatrist was there, and um, oh gosh, just several, so many people came around through Raymond's efforts, and we formed the association at that time, and um, it's still around today. It's now called uh, IANS, uh, standing for International Association for Near-Death Studies, and IANS.org, I-A-N-D-S.org. I, I should um, just say, I, it's the leading, um, really, proponent of this kind of uh, research at the moment, because most people have heard of near-death experiences by now, and IANS is a very, very active and powerful organization. I, I see them as a leader in, in helping to enlighten people. I'm going to be speaking at our, our local um, IANS uh, on the 13th, uh, talking about where all this, where these experiences actually happen, which is basically in reality. <laughs> which, that's why I called my show Seek Reality. I think it's kind of important we all try to do that. Um, but, but what a wonderful place to have been, to have been one of the founders of IANS, um, which is certainly bearing great fruit. Great fruit. So, so then, fast forwarding a bit, um, you also have met what's the most famous, famous current um, experiencer, uh, uh, Dr. Evan Alexander. That's right, yes. Evan and I met in September 2011 in Durham, North Carolina. That, that occurred as a result of uh, a talk I gave at the annual conference for IAMS uh, in Durham. And I was um, on a panel discussing the, um, with Raymond Moody and Bruce Grayson discussing um, the early days of IAMS, the founding of IAMS, and how the idea came to me and how, uh, how I organized it in the very beginning. And I think I ran it for the first four years out of my home, which at the time was in Peoria, Illinois. And um, so I talked all about that. And um, in my comments, I, I mentioned that I was looking forward to the day when we could get beyond the question of whether we survive death onto the more important question yes. of what does it mean that we do. Um, and that uh, resonated with Dr. Alexander. He was in the audience and came up afterward. And we uh, chatted. He wanted to know everything about those early days and what had transpired and um, what Kubler-Ross was all about and, and, and Raymond Moody and, um, uh, and how the work um, progressed from there and what I saw for the future. And, and um, my meeting of Dr. Alexander had been predicted, actually, uh, a few months earlier, actually in January of 2011. I had a reading with um, a very gifted medium, Laura Lynn Jackson, of uh, Long Island, New York. And uh, Laura said, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I had not, this is another synchronistic thing, because I'd sort of gotten out of the work. I, we I we, we need to take another break. I didn't want to interrupt you, but th this is too important not to hear this whole experience with the medium. So let's take another very quick break. We'll be back. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And knowing that changes everything. Our guest today is the wonderful John Audette. And we'll be right back. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, 
Then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's ASCSI.org. Join them next July and be amazed. What if there were a place that was the opposite of civilized? And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with John Audette. And John, you're telling us that a medium predicted that you would meet Evan Alexander and all of these things would unfold? Tell, tell us that story. Well, yes. Yes, she didn't say that I'd be meeting Evan Alexander. She said I'd be meeting a man later in the year who was going to be very important to me, to my future. She said, um, well, I, I need to back up a few steps and just say that um, this, again, is how uh, the dance of destiny seems to work sometimes at least in my life, one thing happens that, you know, uh, paves the way for another thing. And I'm sure this is, uh, I'm sure your listeners can relate to this. I'm sure yes. it plays out in, in the lives of a lot of people. But in, in my case, yes. my, my dear friend, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14 astronaut, who six man to walk on the moon in February 71, lost his son, uh, Adam, to cancer in October 2010. And a mutual friend of ours called me in November to say that uh, she was concerned about uh, Ed's grief reaction and felt he should consult a medium. She knew of a good one, and she wanted to gift a reading and um, to Ed, and she asked me if I would uh, relay that information. And I said, well, you know, you can do this on your own. You can pick up the phone and call him. You don't need me for that. And she said, well... He's probably likely to, more likely to do it if you ask him and if you, you know, encourage him. And I said, well, I, I, I can't recommend a medium I don't know, and I don't know any real good ones, and I've not had any good experiences there where I would just, you know, recommend it to anyone. She said, well, this person's really good, and I highly recommend her, and I'm willing to gift a reading to you as well. And if you like this person, if you feel she's talented, would you please? 
uh, encourage uh, Edgar to do this. And I said, well, that's still no guarantee that he'll do it, but if you really feel that strongly about it, okay, that's fine. So she gifted a reading to me and to Edgar. I, uh, all she knew was my name. And um, it was supposed to have been an hour reading in January 2011. It turned out to be a four-hour reading. Wow. What, what, what is her name? Of, can, you, can you share her name with us? Her, yes, her name is Laura Lynn Jackson. Laura Lynn uh, Jackson, okay. Yes, she's in Long Island, New York. Um, and uh, Laura, she had been psychic as a child. Uh, she actually a high school English teacher, mother of three, in her um, early 40s, I think, at this point. And uh, uh, quite a, a wonderful person, a very, very gifted uh, psychic. Uh, I, I was just blown away by how, how uh, incredibly accurate she was. In any event, uh, we were on the phone for four hours, and the first part of the reading, I'd say the first 90 minutes or so, was bringing through deceased loved ones and friends. Um, and the accuracy was astounding. It truly impressed me. And I think all of that was designed to get my attention. I think it was designed to placate my cynical mind um, and yes. and to... Make uh, sort of sort of make me receptive to for what she was about to tell me in the second half of the reading, which was when she brought through the guides, um, my guides apparently, and uh, and she said they're showing me this and they're showing me that, and she said you tried to do something back in the mid 70s that didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to, and there's she's showing me you're going to meet this man later this year, and there's going to be a reboot. Of, of of this effort that you made, and it's going to be very successful this time. And, wow, great. Uh, you know, green lights all the way for you. And um, she said there's going to be, uh, be, be global, you know, worldwide. It's going to uh, change a lot of, affect a lot of people all over the world in a very positive way. Uh, I see books, movies, I see workshops and conferences and she was just really big I, wow she, that's great I see, she said i even see centers so you know but she specifically used the word reboot in the yes. conversation well i listened to all of it i took the notes and i i kind of filed it away just like i did that your death experience of miss waters in 1960 and um i went to ians to give that talk in september 2011 and then met Eben, and he told me that he was working on a, on his manuscript, and would I please help him with it, and would I please help him find an agent? And and then I of course said yes to all of that. And um, when he heard about the story of the founding of IANS, um, he said, "You know, this is why I came back. This is the, the exact reason why I came back to do this work." And I would love to do this with you. I, I think it's time for a reboot. He used the same oh, word. Oh, no. Wow. And when he used that word, it was like a triggering event. Yes. Like, you, must, you must be the guy I'm supposed to meet. Yes. And then I told him about Laura Lynn, and uh, I asked him if he would have a reading with her, and he said he would, and he did. And um, Laura had predicted, you know, the book would be a best, global bestseller, and a movie would come out that would be a blockbuster, and that wow. Turnio was going to do all these great things and be very successful. So that's how it started. 
that is exciting. The website is Eternia.org, E-T-E-R-N-E-A.org. It was co-founded by John and Dr. Evan Alexander, whose book is a major bestseller, um, whose experiences people tell me about all the time. People mention him to me. So I think he's really getting through to a lot of people. Um, and the website will as well, uh, Eternia.org. Someone else who's involved in it is someone I admire highly, and that's he's been on our show I think three times and coming on again soon, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who is a force of nature, if anybody ever was, and th- that you have him involved uh, a- as intensely and as excited about it as he is, um, is to me a-, a-, a great sign that this is really going to go places. Uh, I'm very excited about it and, uh, and look forward to you know, it's great success. Thank you. Gary's leadership is uh, just a godsend for Eternia. He is a wonderful human being with so many great ideas, a lot of really boundless energy and enthusiasm yes. and inspiration. Yes. And um, Eternia is, is, is going to make great strides uh, with him in place as chairman. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have his involvement. So it's it's where you are now. What do you see coming next? You're going to be he- remain heavily involved with Eternia, right? Correct. Yes. Well, it, that is I, my life's work. I mean, my life's work is, you know, the vehicle is unimportant. Whether it's IANS, whether it's Eternia, whether it's Quantrek, which is the 501c3 I started with Dr. Edgar Mitchell to to research the quantum hologram. Um, the vehicle is really unimportant to me. What what does matter to me is succeeding at the principal larger vision of helping to engender uh, an optimal future for Earth and all its inhabitants, helping to create a sustainable, dynamic future in, in which uh, all life is, is fully supported along with the planet. Um, our current path as a species is uh, leaves a lot to be desired. It's not sustainable. Um, we're, you know, we're in a perilous situation. Uh, it's also our... not happy, John. Uh, it's it, this is, we're, uh, If ever uh, anything in this world were ever miserable, it's human. It's humanity right now in so many in yes. every part of the world, including the United States. Um, so, bringing these truths. To all of humankind, and, and is is to me key to getting uh, a better, happier future for people, as well as, a, as you say, um, uh, helping to to build security for the earth. But my goodness, people need to know the truth. The truth, as Jesus said, will set them free. Yes, I know it's a cliche, um, but it's it's um, it's very accurate. Uh, once we learn to see reality for what it is, and not what we think it is, the larger reality. Yes, um, I believe a lot. A lot of things will change for the better. As a species, we can do better, and we should do better. We're capable of so much more, um, and it's time we evolve to the next level. And I think nature's telling us, you know, hey, it's time to evolve or perish. To quote uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard. And so, you know, the vehicle is unimportant. What matters to me is that we find the right catalyst to help humanity. Um, Move forward to, to a new view of uh, of the future, a new view of of, of themselves, how we can uh, see reality uh, with a, with an accurate uh, perspective versus the illusory one, uh, so that we can uh, do a better job of relating to one another and 
relating to all living things on the planet. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much for being with me. We're going to do this again. I, I so much enjoy talking with you, and you always have such interesting things to share with us. Um, I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and currently four novels, soon to be five. My Thomas is the true story of Thomas Jefferson's beautiful marriage. He only had one. It only lasted 10 years when he was very young. Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money begin the Letters from Love series, which explores how we can use what we're learning from the dead to make human life finally work. Letter from Wonder is due in the fall, and that completes the first trilogy of what will be at least seven novels. And Rich and Famous is my new novel. It's coming out in May. It's a go-go sort of 80s novel, uh, a coming-of-age novel. I, I think it's in the same vein, but quite different in, ter- in sort of tone. We've been talking with John Audette. He's president and CEO of Eternia.org, and he's been living the greater reality search for his whole life. Um, I, I, John, you're an inspiration to me, and I'm sure to everyone who's heard you. Um, Eternia.org is uh, going to be, I think, uh, the go-to website for anyone who's interested in how reality works. E-T-E-R-N-E-A.org. So go ahead and bookmark that one. You're, you're going to want to go back often. Please join us next week when our guests for the fourth time will be Carol Morgan and her glorious son in spirit, Mikey. Mikey's going to give us more of his insights. Uh, he's one of my favorite people. Carol will be a presenter at the ASCS conference on new developments in afterlife communication, July 10th to 12th, I believe it is, uh, in Scottsdale. Go to ASCSI.org for more information. Meanwhile, visit afterlifeforums.com, join the discussion there. And now, go out and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being. You never begin, you never will end, and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.